Well, good morning, IBC family. Once a- Whoa. Hey. You are definitely awake now. Um, this morning's, a, uh, I mean, I think every time we gather together as a church is rich, special, unique in and of itself uh, for a variety of reasons, but this morning is no exception to that. Um, I've actually come up here empty-handed because this morning I myself, I know, it's all right there, just kidding. <laughs> No, I myself am not bringing the main message to you this morning, but my brother-in-law, Nick Seedorf, is going to actually be bringing the message for us this morning. I know, today. We should have had a powwow about that earlier. <laughs> that was today. Um, no, and, you know, I, just to give you a little backstory, first of all, like, today was already intended, the plan was to do kind of an overview of 1 John. We just completed the, the letter of 1 John, and we're going to do an overview kind of as a bookending recap of all that we've kind of gone through, highlighting the key points. And just to bring a, a quick reminder as to the three prominent uh, themes that John kept re- kind of revisiting over and over again. First of all, it was the importance of right belief about Jesus. Again, we talked about the, it isn't critical that we get it right when it comes to the biblical Jesus. In other words, it's not up to us to decide who we want Jesus to be. It's up to God to decide who Jesus, his son, is, and we align ourselves and our lives to that very truth. And so it's critical that you and I believe what the Bible teaches and what Jesus himself teaches about himself. Because when we get it wrong when it comes to the person and therefore the work of Jesus Christ, we can very quickly slip away to a, a heretical understanding and therefore a heretical a view of what it means to be saved or forgiven. So getting it right when it comes to Jesus Christ is uh, of extreme importance. But the following theme that John would continually keep uh, revisiting was not only is it important that we get it right when it comes to Jesus, but also that we obey Jesus. What does Jesus tell us over and again? If you love me, you will obey me. And you see, it's so easy to to almost be content or complacent or even comfortable with this idea that as so long as I believe rightly about Jesus, I elevate the word of God as I ought to do, and as long as that's, that's true of my life, that's sufficient. But actually, John tells us over and again that yes, Right belief matters, but right living also matters. What does James, the writer, also tell us? You, I will, you show me your faith apart from works. I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, living the message that we, that we profess is also of extreme importance. But there's also a third theme that John revisits and actually devotes the most commentary to, not only in his letter of 1 John, but also his letters called 2 John, which we'll go through next week, 3 John, in fact, and also through the Gospel of John. And you actually see it both explicitly and implied all through the book of Revelation. And so this idea of agape love... We've defined that for it many, for us many times. 
We've talked about this because John keeps raising this importance of brotherly love, brotherly and sisterly love for one another. And again, it's not a love as the world might define love, but it's a love as is defined by God himself. It's an agape love that he initiated with us, that he saved us with, and therefore he compels us and tells us, now you are called to love one another as I have loved you. I told you I was not going to be preaching this morning, so I'm going to stop. But my brother-in-law, Nick, is going to come on up here, and I have the honor and privilege of him coming up. And just so you know why this has kind of come to fruition for such a time as this is, this whole understanding and this journey of, of, of seeking and understanding and mining the depths of agape love started long before we began the series in 1 John. My brother, Nick, has been in this for years, and God has been working an incredible work in his own heart for years, and so I thought it was much more appropriate for him to come forward and to share not only his journey in this, but also even the most practical ways in which this gets fleshed out in our daily living. So brother, thank you so much for basically feeding us through the word and through your testimony. Thanks for having me here. All right, is this thing on? Yeah. Okay, I can hear my nasal. All right. So, as Aaron said, you know, I have uh, just want to share a bit of my journey because I, I grew up in the church, and I think so much of what has really changed me in the last really decade or so have been things that have been familiar, things that have been familiar to me growing up, things that are familiar to you, and I want to unpack my journey a little bit and connect some dots and then really get to some practical ways of this deep divine love, this agape love. How does it, how can it, how will it impact all of who we are and impact our day in this very practical, real way? So let me start and pray and then we'll go from there. Father, we are just so grateful that you love us in a way that goes beyond our understanding. You love us more than we feel. You love us more than we experience. And we are so grateful, Jesus, that by your blood, you have reconciled us to the Father so we can be in this deep, intimate relationship with the both of you. And we, we honor you, Jesus. We lift you up this morning, and we just ask and invite you, Holy Spirit, to pour out this deep, agape love into our hearts, would you work in this place to reveal to us this love that the Father has? In Jesus' name, amen. So for me, I've, uh, as I mentioned, I grew up in the church, and this idea of God loves us. I liked it, but I didn't really get it. And in fact, there was a bit of pain, I would say, around it. You know, this four-letter word brought up things within me that I knew there was more there, but I I wasn't getting, and I wasn't receiving. And so there's a long journey in this, but in one way, it showed itself about a decade ago, where we were at, living in Southern California at that time, it was New Year's Day, and our church had these two questions for us. 
They asked us, what are you hopeful for and excited about in the year to come? And what are you nervous about? And I had the same answer for both. And I was hopeful that God would show me that he loved me. And I was worried that he would show me that he loved me. Because although I didn't quite know what that meant, that was my heart answer. And I knew that the love was deeper than I understood, that deeper than I was experiencing, and that as I experienced more, it would require a response. And I was scared because I wasn't living with, I had a bit of an understanding here, but I didn't have it here. And so the reality is I didn't really get the depths of his goodness. And so what happens when we don't believe that he's good or as good as he is, we start to then have backup plans. And for me, I wouldn't have used this language back then, but I had, I, I had these thoughts, this heart, as if I was an orphan. That I knew I had a father, but I wasn't sure that he was quite with me and for me. Like, of course, if you asked me, I would have told you, yeah, oh, he's with me. He's for me. He loves me. I, I had all those answers, but, but it really was not embraced, and I knew that. And so in my life at the time, I had all these things set up, these comforts, protection, backup plans. And, you know, the way even John describes it at the end of 1 John, he calls them idols. And my biggest idol was comfort. I wanted things to be in the right place. And really, I was trying to protect from pain, from loss, from disappointment. Maybe some of you can relate with that. And, and so I went, that morning on New Year's, I had this picture of, oh, no, like this is what is coming. He's going to show me. And it was this choice of what am I going to do? Because over the years prior, he was calling me out. It was almost like I was in this cave. And I knew he was calling me out. And he was calling me so far out, I wouldn't be able to go back. And that was really fearful to me. And so the journey went on uh, until really the last about three or three or four years. And he invited me to create something, this platform to connect believers. It was more than, than I could do on my own. And so I had to say, okay, well, I need you to show me how to do it. And one of the core verses that he was showing me was possible was John 17, 23. And we all know John 17 is Jesus's prayer. And one of the things he really ends it with is that we would be one like he and the father are one. And when we are one, the whole world will know that the father sent the son and that he loves us as much as he loves himself. And I thought, oh my goodness, like that's the ultimate form of evangelism. If you, we would just be one. So what is this? What is this about? And so he took me on this, this journey and he basically led me to read John 13 through 17 over and over for about a year, year and a half, just over and over and over. And what came out of that has changed me. It's changed my life. And that's what I want to share with you more today. So I got to John 15, 9, and I read something that I've read dozens of times before, but it was as if I've now read it for the first time. And Jesus, the night before he's going to die, talking to the 11, because Judas had already left, if you're going to die, you're going to say the most important things to you. And he knew it. And so this is what he says. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. And I thought, wait, 
the way the Father loves Jesus, Jesus is loving them this way. And so if you think about this question, Aaron and I both love this quote from Tozer, and it's what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, our, and what I'm learning in this process is that there's a specific question that the way we answer this question will define who we are and how we live. Because think about it. The, our perspective on things are powerful. What if we didn't trust the one who built this building? I hope they're not in here. <laughs> what if we didn't trust the structural soundness? Nobody would be sitting here comfortably if you heard anything you would, you would fear. Or we probably wouldn't even be in here if we didn't trust it, right? So what I've learned in life is that the level to which we see he is good is the level to which we will trust him. We'll put as much weight on it as we believe it can carry. And so in this definition of goodness, what is so central is the question of how much does he love me? And so I ask you to think about how you would answer that. Don't say it out loud because I want people to think on their own. But how would you describe how much God loves you? And the way I would describe this a few years ago would be, he loves me so much. He loves me more than I know. He loves me more than I can imagine. He loves me unconditionally. And although these are true, they're not very specific. And maybe some of you would have different definitions. Maybe some of you would have similar. similar. But I realized it was almost as if I was describing infinity. It's very big. It's more than I could imagine. It's incredibly large. But the reality is, he has a lot more to say about love. And that's what I started to see and learn in these chapters in this experience. So as I mentioned, Jesus, the night before he dies, says to the disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And I realized, oh my goodness, Jesus loves me as much as the Father loves him. I would not have described it that way. I didn't know that. Maybe I'm the only one on the planet who missed that. But I didn't know he loved me that much. And I realized, looking back, I wouldn't have been able to describe it this way. But I kind of thought he viewed me like a family pet. And again, I wouldn't have said it that way. But for those of you who have family pets, I mean, you love your animal. And I personally didn't create myself. I don't really take care of myself. I didn't die for myself. Like, he's done so much for me and for us that who am I to say I deserve any more? But the reality is, it's not like that at all. He loves me and us as much as he loves his son. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is that love that requires a response. But as I, I started to become aware of that and wake up to that, I said, God, I think there's a problem. This love word is a little unclear. Because what does that mean? And you think about it, at least in the English, English language, love is kind of a problematic four-letter word. 
you know, God loves me. I love my wife and kids. I love baklava. Baklava doesn't love me. <laughs> but it's, we use it all the time for everything. I love water, which I need water right now. Um, and so I said, you know, God, there, please show me more because you're starting to, unre- to, to reveal you and yourself. And so that's when you go to the Greek. And as Aaron mentioned, as, as we've been talking about, this is a different kind of love that he's talking about. This is agape. And as I dove deep into agape, I realized this is something different. We call it love. We translate it as love. But it's more than that. It's not the way we would think about human love response. And so, um, so I started to re- just research all the verses on agape and ask him, just show me more. What does this mean? And how do I step into this more? And so there's about 250 verses on agape. There's, I'm going to say agape a lot this morning, so get ready for this. <laughs> um, there's agape is the noun, agape is the verb. Um, and what it reveals to us, again, it's even the King James Version will translate it as charity because that word love, it gets, it gets mixed up. And so in this journey, what I learned is that there's something I had been missing by not understanding agape. And one of the verses I, you get to in this journey of agape is also, again, John writing in Revelation 2. And he says, we know this letter to the church of Ephesus. And he says, Jesus is saying all these great things about the church of Ephesus. They've done some good. But he says, this one thing I have against you that you have left your first agape. And I knew there was something in me that, that related to that. Yeah, I've done that too. But it's not a small thing because what Jesus goes on to say is that it is such a big deal and he has that against them that if they do not repent, he's going to remove their lampstand. And it was actually when, when this when I had this encounter with him, it was the same retreat in Montana. The other guys were out fishing. I was looking at all these agape verses. And I went into our room, and I just laid on my face and said, Father, I don't know what this is, but I have done this. I have left my first love. And I just weeped on the floor. And as I went deeper into that verse, you could translate the Greek to left your first love as we have deprioritized agape. And I knew it. That's exactly what I've done. I've missed it. I've missed something. And there's something more that's there. And so in this journey, I just kept asking, Holy Spirit, show me more. Like, what else is there? It's already been this incredible discovery. And I just kept asking for more. And so he took me to 1 Corinthians 13. Where else do you go? The love chapter, the agape chapter. There's so much. We could talk about that for weeks. And at the end of the chapter, in, in verse 13, Paul lays out a list. He says, remain in these three things, abide in these three things, faith, hope, and agape. And the greatest of these is agape. And I realized, oh, there it is. And for me, I realized what I was doing, that I was prioritizing faith. I thought faith was the way I get through it all. 
And it's not that we make faith any less. In fact, let's have more faith. It's just that agape is the greatest of those three. But the way I was living it is I was trying to faith it out. I need to do this by more faith. If only I had more faith, I would do that. If I only had more faith, I wouldn't do that. And again, those are part of our journey. But the greatest of those is agape. And it's even interesting when you read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, because if we have faith of a mustard seed, we can do what? Move mountains. And so in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul starts talking about all these amazing things that, that we could do. And one of them, he says, you could even have faith to move mountains. But without agape, you have nothing. It profits you nothing. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is a bigger deal than I thought. How have I been missing this the whole time? That I can do all these things, which I think any one of us here would think would be incredible to see a mountain moved. But apart from agape, it's nothing. And so that led me to more. I said, all right, Father, what else do you have? And and really, it's a few verses down in John 15, 13, or 15, 12, rather. He says something else that I almost wanted to just quit. (laughs) <laughs> when I, once I heard this, because he loves us as much as he loves his son. Well, guess what he says in verse 12? Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, agape one another. So now he's telling us to love each other like the father loves the son. That seems pretty impossible, right? <laughs> do any of you feel like you're tasked to do something that you can't do? Do you feel the burden? I thought Jesus talked about the burden's light. Well, why do we feel this burden? Look at all these people and all their needs. And what I'm learning is because we are trying to do something different than what he's asking us. We're trying to humanly love one another. And what Jesus is commanding us to do is to divinely love one another. And so in this journey for me, I, I love the bigger concepts. And at the end of the day, it has to be practical. I have to know what to do next. I have to know how this is going to change today. And, and so the more I study and pray and read about agape, I'm seeing it as something very different than what we naturally see it or talk about it like. I don't want to over... like. Uh, pick it apart too much, but it's almost like a different uh, construct, entity, meaning it's not human. It's supernatural. It's not something I can muster up. It's not, agape is not something I'm born with. Agape is not something I can earn. It's something that we can receive. And so it only comes from the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus commands us to agape one another— He's, he's saying, you need to first receive this before you try to give it. There is no ability to give that away. If Aaron gave me, told, commanded me to give away pictures with his signature on it, I would first need those pictures. I can't give that away without that valuable item. <laughs> so agape is this thing that I have to receive first. There is no agape credit card. We can't first give it and then pay for it later. There's no layaway. We have to receive it. And so when Jesus commands us and points somebody out who we're supposed to agape, 
it is actually a beautiful process because we clearly don't have what it takes to agape that person until we receive it from him. And so it's, it's kind of a journey, right? It's, oh my gosh, this person has a ton of need. I don't have the ability to do that. That means my father is going to give this to me. That means my father will provide what I need to divinely love this person. And so in that journey, it's to say, okay, well, agape also means to lay down our lives for one another. So not only is he asking us to do something that we can't naturally do, which is to divinely love someone, we have to first receive that. The definition of agape in its utmost is that we would lay down our life. And of course, that's what Jesus did. He showed agape. He is, God is agape. And so the father laid down the son because he agaped the world. Jesus laid down his life because he agaped us. And he agaped the father because he not only did the word become flesh, I can't imagine what was laid down there. Not only did the word become flesh, but as we know, he shed his blood like we sang. And he did that so that we would be reconciled to the Father. He laid down his life as well so the Father could be in relationship with us that he desires. And so that means how do I lay down my life for you? How do I die for you? I mean, who gets up? We get up every day so selfish. So how do we do this? And part of it is through receiving. And what I want to talk about towards the end of this time right now is what our identity then is and what's available to us. Because as I walk this road of agape and I realized we've been given more than we can imagine and we're asked and commanded to do more than we are able to do unless we first receive this, it's that our identity, it's more than any one of us are aware of. And I, I had this question, is it specific? Do you have more specifics for us, Father? And so as I mentioned, John 17, 23, the verse right before it is really interesting. Jesus is praying, obviously he's praying for unity, and he says to the Father, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them so that they may be one. And I thought, what the heck does that mean? Jesus has given us the glory that the Father gave to him? And this glory seems to be necessary for us to be one. Without this glory, maybe we can't be one. And this glory isn't to come. This glory was given 2,000 years ago. So what exactly is this? And, the, and, I, and I looked at the Greek for the word glory, and it's dignity, honor, and praise. So I said, Father, when did you give Jesus dignity, honor, and praise? And I assumed it's going to be public. So when did you publicly do this for Jesus? And as we know, there's three times in the scriptures where, where the fa- it's recorded that the Father audibly speaks to Jesus. And two of them, he says the exact same thing. And Peter, so one of them is at the baptism, 
and one of them is at the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter does this beautiful job in 2 Peter verse 17 to really bring this together. And he says, For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as was made to him by the majestic glory, he said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so this statement, which he made, the Father made twice to Jesus in front of people. Think about the Mount of Transfigurations. He said that in front of Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah. It was like in front of his friends. God is proclaiming, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And I thought there's something inside me that, that, that bubbled up and just said, do you say that about me? Is this how you think about me? Oh, if only he thought about me that way. And so I started to look again into the Greek. And I said, what else is here? What am I missing? And so that word beloved, it's not simply little children. There are other Greek words for that. Jesus used, John used. But this word beloved is agapetos. It's the same root word, you know, agape. It's this divine love. And God is agape. And it seems that agapetos is this familiar divine name, almost the family name. This is who they are. And so the father is saying, this is my divinely loved son with whom I'm well pleased. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's saying that about us. And I, but I thought, if he is saying that about us, then I need a little more proof because I don't just want to grab onto it because I want it. I want to see how the early church grabbed onto it. And so that word, agapetos, when you look throughout the scriptures, it's spoken over, it's used over 60 times. It's in every book of the New Testament except for a few. And about 50 of those times, it's the early church saying that to one another. We translate it as beloved. John uses it five times in 1 John. He uses it four times in 3 John, the single chapter book. He uses it four times. And, and Paul will say, this is my beloved Timothy. They'll greet each other as the agapetos because they're reminding, they're rehearsing each other of their identity. The same identity, the same honor and glory that the Father gave Jesus because of his blood, we now have that identity as the Agapetos. And what I'm learning is how is it possible that I can lay down my life? How can we lay down our life for one another? It's that we embrace that identity. We receive what he paid for. Because if that's who I am, and if that's who I embrace, I am. The divinely loved one, as we embrace that, what can you do to me? that's going to take away what I have and the value that I am. Even my enemy can force me to walk a mile, and I can walk two. It doesn't matter. You can take my cloak, and I'll give you my iPhone too. It doesn't matter, because that doesn't impact my identity. It's not something that you can steal. But it is something that I cannot receive. 
And so what I'm learning in this process is that my life, because Jesus, by his blood, he's already paid for it. All of this, this glory, this identity has been available for 2,000 years. It's been available all 43 years of my life. It's that only until the last couple years did I realize it's about being a receiver of this identity. For those of us who believe in Jesus, we are this new creation that has the ability to receive this divine love and to give it away. And the level to which we receive it, I believe in part, has to do with the level to which we embrace this identity as the agapetos, which means then it directly relates to the level that we can give away. Imagine if us just in this room received and embraced this identity. Husbands, we agapate our wives. I don't want to get specific on that one because it'll come back to bite me. But we are called to lay down our lives for our wives. I just want comfort. I just want things to be done for me. But you know what? I, am, I can receive all that I need to lay down my, my life for my wife. It's all available. As I had that orphan heart a decade ago, And this orphan thinking of, oh, I think God's there and I think he's good, but I don't really know he's going to show up, so I'll have backup plans. I lived with a constant state of scarcity. I felt like it was up to me to make sure I had what I needed. And I probably weaved some weird thing of faith within that line of thinking. But with agape, it's all there. It's all available to us. It really has to do with, do we believe that he loves us as much as he loves his son? Are we willing to receive that? And if you're like me, you're aware, and maybe you have these thoughts right now of, well, I don't know if I can receive that. I'm not sure you know what I've done. I'm not sure you know my past. I'm not sure you know of some things. And the, the beauty of this process is this is about a good father who loves us as much as he loves his son. And for those of you who have kids, one of the things that is defined by agape is that he keeps no record of wrongs. I have teenagers who are not perfect, who are incredible, I couldn't, if you force me to say the top five things they've done wrong in their life, I don't know. Like, it's just not top of mind for me. I don't think about that. I don't wake up thinking about that. But I think some of us wake up thinking that our father has a list. And our father keeps a list. And the reality is, the list keeper is the accuser of the brethren. And you know what? Sometimes we follow in his ways and he teaches us to accuse ourselves and accuse others. And so what I want to do is I want to just read from 1 Corinthians 13, read his description of himself because God is 
agape. He is this divine love. And so you can listen to it however you would like, eyes open, eyes closed. But I want you to, to realize and embrace that this is who he is, and, when, and he is viewing you from this perspective. Our Father is patient. Our Father is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. Our Father is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. Our Father is not easily angered. Our Father keeps no record of wrongs. Our Father does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Our Father always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Our Father never fails. Because of Jesus, our Father looks at us and says, you are my divinely loved children with whom I am well pleased. This is the ultimate good news. Yes, salvation is a part of it. But this is not only our present, it's our future, it's eternity, All of the things, all of the records, all of what gets in our way is not how the Father sees us. And it's our choice to receive this or not. We can look at other people, our friends who aren't saved, and just be like, man, if they would just receive Jesus. And I say this to myself, and I say this to all of us, if we would just receive agape, This is what we were made for. This is what the world needs. And specifically, it's that we are the agapetos. We are the divinely loved ones. And so in life, what I'm learning to just focus on is that I need to be a receiver of this love. That this is my most important posture, my most important position is to be a receiver of this love. And so like any gift, like anything given to you, to receive, we have to respond. And we have to do something to receive. And so I think a number of you have received this. I think a number of you maybe want to receive this and go deeper into this journey of agape. And so what I want to do is have a time where for those who want to receive this identity, to make a a public declaration, this isn't like 
the intensity of baptism. But if you're like me, I can have these thoughts and then I can just go on with life. It helps to have a time and a place to say, this is when I heard and this is when I responded. And so what I'm going to do in a second is ask if there are any people who you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, this is what I've been inviting you to. This is the more that you feel in your heart that you knew was there. And it's more of him, more of his divine love. I'm just going to ask you where you are in a few seconds to stand. And I'm slowly prepping you so you can decide and sense and feel. There's no pressure. This isn't about performance. And in fact, thank you, brother. It's the opposite of all that. It's no wrong can keep you from standing and no right can keep you or can have you be loved anymore. And so for any of you who want to stand and receive agape, I would just ask you to do that and invite you to do that now. If you want to receive your identity as the divinely loved ones. And I know this is one of those moments, if you're not standing, it's okay. You may have already received it. You may not be ready and in this place. So don't think differently. And I'm actually going to ask you to do something as well, to help and to be a part. Thank you, guys. So we are family. We are defined by this name, the special, intimate family name, the tender name of Agapetos that the father called the son. I'm so thankful to be a part of this with you. I'm so thankful that the father looks at all of us and says, you are my, divi- my divinely loved daughter. You are my divinely loved son. With us, he is well pleased. He looks at us with joy. When he looks at us, he's happy. Remember, Jesus is paid for the bad stuff. That's not on the list anymore. He looks at us and says, that is my son. That is my daughter. And he claims us. And so what I I want to invite you to do right now, and for those who are sitting, and for even those who are standing, because so many are standing, I want to invite you to just pray with one another and bless one another. So if you're standing, if you feel comfortable to go near, or if you're sitting, if you feel comfortable to go near someone who's standing, if you're standing near other people who are standing, just gather together and pray for one another and bless them to receive this identity. Ask, it says in Romans 5, 5, that the Holy Spirit pours agape into our hearts. And so this is what we get to receive. This is what's available. We were all in this journey together. Doesn't matter where we're at in the process, just that we're moving forward together. So the band will play. And for those of you who feel led, if you could just gather around and pray for one another.
Amen. You know, I really want to keep in the spirit of what the Spirit is doing. And I can't think of a greater way to respond than to respond in celebrating what Jesus has done for us. I love the fact that I'm reminded even as a result, and thank you, brother, for just sharing your heart and sharing God's work in your heart. It means a lot. And I, I just I love the, uh, almost referring to you in a different way. I love saying you're family, and that's true. But I think it's even more profound to say you're divinely loved ones. Maybe we can keep reminding ourselves one another all the time. When we, when we greet one another, it's like, hey, divinely loved one. Divinely loved one. Because you know what? I think I need that reminder every day. But you know, there's one who gave his life that made that all possible. And his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus says this in John 15, verse 13, there's no greater love than this, than one who lays down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends. And so Jesus, in divinely agape fashion, willingly laid down his life, not only to save us from our sins, but to empower us to live that same willingness for one another.